0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and another in our series on the Biden administration. From 2011 until 2021, Cedric Richmond represented the second congressional district of Louisiana. During that time, he also served as the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Today, the Biden presidency is officially one year old and Richmond serves as the senior advisor to the president and director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. Joining me now, Cedric Richmond. Mr. Richmond, welcome to Washington Post Live. Jonathan, thanks for having me. So, um, there's a uh, the, the president did uh, a marathon press conference uh, on Wednesday, two hours, covered a lot of ground. Um, Since you are a senior member of the ad- administration, I'm going to um, start with a question on foreign policy. I don't know how much you can get into it. But, you know, I talked to U.N. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, uh, who was direct and blunt about w- what the U.S. response will be if Russia rolls over the border uh, with Ukraine. And at the press conference yesterday, uh, Wednesday, the president Seem to say, draw a distinction between, well, if it's a little incursion, that's one thing, but if it's an all out out invasion, that's another. Now there appears to be concern in Ukraine and among the allies, uh, U.S. allies, about the United States' resolve. Are they right to be concerned?
1: No, the president uh, has been very clear with uh, President Putin that if any Russian military forces move across the Ukraine border, That's a renewed invasion, and it will be met with a swift, severe, and united response from the United States and our allies. So um, that's been his conversation with uh, President Putin. I think he's been very
0: direct, and I think that our allies uh, know it. On voting rights, as expected, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act um, failed to pass the Senate, and then the Senate failed to pass a rule change to allow those two bills, those two vital bills to be passed by a simple majority vote. So what now? What is the White House going to do? What can it do?
1: Well, I think, and I'll start with, I think yesterday was a defining moment. Last night, um, the country had a chance to see where uh, people stood on uh, protecting the right to vote. And um, unfortunately, uh, it didn't go on enough votes to uh, break the filibuster. And we didn't uh, get a rules change, which the president has advocated for uh, early in administration. He advocated for a talking filibuster and just uh, two weeks ago in Atlanta, he advocated for a carve out or just uh, removing the filibuster. If That's what it took to protect the fundamental uh, right to vote. And so <clears throat> that's very important. Where we go from here is we don't stop. Uh, we we cannot uh, give up and the struggle will uh, continue. And that's how you make progress. So we're going to you'll see the vice president uh, really lean in and uh, bring more people uh, together to fight uh, and uh, move in the movement. And look, it's going to take us bringing in uh, partners, allies. We, you'll see us uh really continue to push we're not giving up on this it is absolutely too important uh, of an issue uh, for us to give in the justice department will continue to do what they need to do in terms of combating these unconstitutional discriminatory uh, voter suppression laws that are being passed on party line votes across this country uh, with a simple majority so we're not we're not giving in uh yesterday was not the end Uh, we have renewed our commitment to uh, push for uh, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Bill.
0: You know, one of the things that is fascinating to me, and I think fascinating to a lot of Americans, is a point that the president made during his speech in Atlanta, and that was the Voting Rights Bill was reauthorized by a unanimous vote out of the Senate. And that 16 of those Republicans who voted unanimously in 2006 continue to serve in the United States Senate today. 16 Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Why do you think, what has changed in those 16 years where Republicans who thought nothing of voting for the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act, won't even give the bill a vote so that it can be those bills a vote so that they can be debated in 2022? 2020,
1: Simple. What's changed is Donald Trump. Uh, he's hijacked the Republican Party and they have yet to display the courage to uh, fight back. Uh, unfortunately, um, they've allowed uh, the former president to change their value system. 16, uh, you said it, the president said it in his speech 16 Republicans. Uh, voted to renew the Voting Rights Act. And now uh, because the former president and their uh, you know desire to not be primary uh, has affected their uh, willingness to uh, do a bipartisan voting rights bill. And I've said this before, so this is nothing new. And I think the president's sentiment in Georgia echoed it is that politicians worry about the next election statesmen worry about the next generation. And it is unfortunate that uh, what uh, the former defeated president has been able to do to uh, the Republican Party. And it is very clear that uh, if he doesn't want something to happen, then they're not uh, going to do it. And we know what he believes about elections. He's still uh, pushing the big lie and saying that there was rampant voter fraud. Uh, The 2020 election should be celebrated. More people voted in the history of this country. It was a fair, safe, and accurate election. uh, And he lost. But uh, he can't take that defeat. So he continues to question it. Republicans continue to uh, patronize him. And uh, unfortunately, uh, this is where we wind up when people let things like that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I want to come back to another question about Mitch McConnell. But in, in terms of you know casting doubt on the twenty twenty election, did President Biden in his press conference mean to cast doubt on the upcoming twenty twenty two midterm elections with his comments yesterday?
1: No, absolutely not. Uh, I think what he was doing was celebrating uh, the fact that in twenty twenty more Americans voted um, in the history of the United States. And then I think that what he was doing was highlighting the fact that some of these laws actually will allow people to subvert elections. And if that election subversion happens, then it would raise questions. And I think that's, that's what he was trying to highlight.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, back to Mitch McConnell, uh, because a- after <coughs> the failed vote yesterday, the Senate minority leader was asked What he would say to voters of color who fear that they won't be able to vote in the midterms as a result of those two bills not passing. And he said, and I quote, if you look at the statistics, African-American voters are voting in just as high percentages as Americans. Your reaction to that distinction?
1: I I just, you know, it's unfortunate that... um the minority leader uh, feels that way. Uh, and I think that if you look at African Americans and minorities, uh, they have the most to lose in, term, in elections. If you look at this country's history of discrimination uh, and racism, the fact that um, minorities uh, wanna vote, they may wanna vote in a higher number than uh, the majority population. I, I just think that You know, they are searching for excuses for why they won't protect the right to vote. And I think that um, Mitch McConnell's uh, statement uh, shows that. I mean, this is not about voting in parity. This is about allowing every American that wants to write, to exercise their right to vote, to be able to vote. So it just goes to show in my mind that uh, they're doing uh, intellectual gymnastics to justify uh, a point that uh, doesn't exist, and mm-hmm. that is Donald Trump's uh, stronghold over the Republican Party.
0: And, and everything you say there, I, I get, but the distinction that that really troubled me and troubled a lot a lot of people is the minority leader's distinction between African American voters and American voters. And, you know, sorry, Leader McConnell, but I, too, am American. So it it seems to me that the language that the minority leader used is, again, sort of trying to divide us from, quote, unquote, Americans versus others.
1: Well, unfortunately, that's been a a consistent playbook in this Republican Party. You know, their standard bearer, their president, when he announced, came down the elevator and talked about uh, Hispanic Americans. He talked about immigrants. He's talked about uh, African American uh, football players. You know, he can condemn uh, African American football players for taking a knee because they love this country and call them SOBs, but he can't condemn people who barge in the Capitol of bearing the Confederate flag, trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. I mean, I really just, you know, we don't want to take a lot of time uh, just bashing the former president, but he's reckless and he's taken over uh, the Republican party. So Mm -hmm. to see them um, divide, I think is just consistent with what has happened since Uh, the president took over. The former president was elected and Charlottesville. And that's why uh, one of the big reasons why President Biden ran for office was to restore the soul of this country.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Build Back Better um, because there seems to be some mixed messaging coming from Democrats writ large. Moderate Democrats want to pick it apart and pass the pieces that can get passed. The president said at the press conference that he wants a he wants another go at getting Build Back Better passed. So, am I wrong to think that if Build Back Better passes, it will look nothing like the Build Back Better bill that stalled late last year and that Democrats spent basically the better half of last year trying to get passed and not being able to do it?
1: I'm not sure that I would concede that, Jonathan. Uh, I think that uh, the president is fighting for. Uh, the framework that he laid out, and we're gonna continue to fight for it. We're not conceding that it will be smaller. We're not conceding that we're gonna leave uh, pieces behind. Of course, this is (laughs) passing legislation, so there's a lot of compromise that will be involved, but we've not moved off of, of our point of those things that we want and need in this legislation. It's too important to the country. It's too important to working families. Uh, to help us ease uh, inflation, uh, and so we're going to continue to fight for it. And,
0: and and I get that, but I mean, even if you were to pick it apart, even if if Build Back Better didn't have everything um, that you know was in it last year, it would still be an historic bill. So, is there would there be anything wrong with passing a Build Back Better bill that had childcare, elder care? and say something, a provision that doesn't come to mind right now related to the environment or paid family leave or uh, an ex- a permanent funding extension of the uh, child tax credit. That would be huge. Just those three of those things would be huge.
1: Would be huge, but it would also leave out uh, historic investment in historically black colleges and universities, uh, investment in maternal health. Our investment in community violence intervention across this country, so that we can uh, help fight crime uh, in inner cities, help people that are formerly incarcerated uh, re-enter society. Uh, Those those things are important. So if if you look at Build Back Better, uh, it it is uh, all of the things proposed are important to the president. Even things that were left out uh, when we got to the one point seven five. Uh, trillion dollar bill, but when you talk about three and four year olds going to school as opposed to daycare, when you start talking about helping with childcare costs so that people can reenter the workforce, all of those things are important, and we're going to continue to fight for them. And you know, worst case, I think what the president was saying yesterday, worst case scenario, uh, would we compromise? We would, but we shouldn't go. Uh, we we should not go down that far. These things are absolutely important to the future of this country and working families in this country. So uh, we're not ready to concede that we're going to give anything up.
0: Well, Mr. Richmond, right now, um, reading the reporting, uh, the budget committees, uh, all four of them in the Senate and, and the House, they're right now meeting and negotiating and talking why couldn't some of these things that you say would be left off the table if only three things were to go into Build Back Better, why can't they be part of, I guess, regular order, being a part of the budget? Isn't that a way to get some of those things, get some of those things through without having to try to get them through and Build Back Better?
1: It's a possibility, but remember, we're operating now under a continuing resolution. And there's no guarantee that you're going to have appropriations bills. And right now, uh, the president laid out a strategy during the campaign that he wanted to uh, do the American Rescue uh, Plan so that we could uh, invest in vaccines and do all the things we were able to do there. We wanted to invest in infrastructure, our physical infrastructure, and then we wanted to invest in our human infrastructure and in our human capital. And we're not going to just concede and walk away from the human capital investment it it was all a part of our economic plan uh to keep this country on track record job growth all of those things but at the same time not leave working families Mm -hmm. behind and we think that we ought to do it we ought to do it now and i think you're going to see a renewed effort to get uh build back better across the finish line
0: and the interesting thing about that point you're making about operating under a continuing resolution, it's a continuing resolution that keeps it keeps in place the Trump budget, the budget from the Trump years. Um, and I also right. understand the the reason for trying to get things, uh, as many things as possible, into a Build Back Better framework is that it is under reconciliation rules, which would allow for it to, to pass with a simple majority vote. Um, what grade? would you give um the president and the president's administration after year one and be honest because i mean i know there's some self-interest in a- answering that question
1: i would give us an eight and i'll just tell you what, really? when we came in office okay and in, in, l- let me go through it when we came in office almost uh 20 million people were unemployed that number now is less than two million. Uh, we've added 6.4 million jobs to the economy. We have record economic growth. So if you look at the economic side, although a lot of people don't talk about it, a lot of people don't brag about it, but the economy is roaring back. Let's go back, uh, 12 years when president Obama was elected, uh, we had cars, but nobody could afford them. Now people can afford cars and because of supply chain issues. Uh, the demand is up, the supply is down, but the fact that people can afford them is a big difference than where we were 12 years ago. So on the economic front, I think that the president's plan is working. He's been able to pass two significant pieces of legislation that were uh, vitally important, which was one of uh, his planks. And Go back. Two million people were vaccinated when we took office. Now that number is well over uh 200 million. Uh, almost 60% of the schools were closed when we took office. Now, 96% of schools are open. The economy is open. America's not is shut down. And I think that people have to just, uh, when grading, look at where we started and then look at where we are. Some things were messy. Yes, Afghanistan was messy. But you know what, if you left Afghanistan five years ago, it was gonna be messy. If you leave Afghanistan five years from now, it was going uh, to be messy. Uh, But the president said last night, and I think that people don't really uh, think about the financial impact and the loss of life uh, from uh, us in Afghanistan, but we were spending over a billion dollars a week for 20 years in Afghanistan. And at some point uh, you had to leave. And if we stayed, we'd have to send in almost 50,000 troops to make sure that it was peaceful. And remember, we were not having American casualties because the former president made a deal with the Taliban that for a ceasefire that we would leave. Then another thing that was a a big point for the president, uh, this administration was Racial equity. And so, where we saw uh, police reform fail, the president acted. Uh, we banned uh, chokeholds in federal law enforcement. We also limited the use of no knock warrants. We uh, made body cameras mandatory. We're going to do an executive order on uh, policing soon. We've talked to law enforcement, we've talked to victims, we've talked to civil rights leaders, we've talked to legal scholars and everyone else. And <clears throat> we've also cut uh, child poverty in half this year in the United States. We cut uh, Latino poverty by 39%. We cut uh, Asian-American poverty by 22%. We cut African-American poverty anywhere from 34 to 38%. So those things are humongous. The fact that we're not going around taking a victory lap, it's because we're keeping our head down and continuing to work because we have enormous challenges in this country and we're gonna continue uh, to meet them. But if I went down just our record of accomplishments, it's a long list, but we don't have the luxury of just um, talking about our accomplishments because we still have a lot of work to do. And by the way, uh, sometimes we have to remind our friends, family and foes uh, that presidents are elected for four years. Uh, Today marks uh, one year. So we're 25% of the way through uh, the presidency, but I think that his work over the last year has been extraordinary.
0: What would you say to, the, to those folks who forget that the presidency is, is four years, but for whom what's been happening in the, head, the, the headwinds the administration has been facing, uh, is facing now and certainly the last half of his first year will have an impact on the 2022 midterm elections in November. What would you say to them?
1: I think that there's a time to go tout your record. It's not now. Uh, Now's the time to continue to put your head down and do the work. Uh, Getting COVID under control, making sure that Americans have tests, making sure that Americans have vaccines, making sure that Americans have access to uh, new treatments uh, for uh, COVID. Those things are important.
0: But right, right. And, 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 and I'm interrupting the you because election uh,
1: where we get to go do that.
0: Uh huh. And I'm interrupting you on that point because during the campaign, the president promised that he could and that he would end the pandemic. But after his first year in office, COVID cases are at an all-time high. Why has that promise been so hard to keep?
1: Well, what we're doing is uh, protecting the safety and health of Americans. 200 million uh, vaccines are available. And the president has talked about uh, the pandemic. And if you look at infections, if you look at uh, the death rate, uh, we we are making progress. Now, Omicron was a a different variant, but we're gonna continue to ask Americans to mask up, get vaccinated, get boosted, and do all those things uh, to protect ourselves. And we will follow uh, the science wherever it goes, but we've been very intentional about making sure that every American can protect themselves and protect their family. And we've made those tools available to Americans to actually do that.
0: Now, back to the midterms, one of the things that uh, Democrats in particular are worried about is if Republicans take back one or both houses of Congress, that the president's agenda, which is already having a hard time getting through, um, will just grind to a halt. How concerned um, is the White House about that, and how would that affect the president's ability to get things done? Look, it's
1: it's a very valid concern for Democrats. It's a concern that I have, and that's why it's important to go out and uh, win the battle in contest of ideas. And we will continue to run on our record. The same thing we ran on, we'll run on our accomplishments, but we'll also run on the fact that Republicans have obstructed everything uh, that we've tried to do. We were able to do a bipartisan infrastructure bill that will remove lead pipes, expand broadband, fix our roads and bridges. Um, We did an incredible investment in the Minority Business Development Agency, all those things in a bipartisan bill. But when you look at things like voting rights and you look at other things, uh, pay, <clears throat> paid family leave, other things, Republicans have just <clears throat> obstructed. And it's not in, I would, you know, assert that it's not necessarily a value proposition. It's just that uh, they would rather see America uh, struggle and fail so that they can win elections as opposed to coming together in the best interests of the country and moving this country
0: forward. I gotta get, we got less than five minutes left and I gotta get you on on two questions. Um, Okay. uh, You know, Mr. Richmond, there's been relentlessly um, negative press coverage um, that includes anonymous quotes from folks in the West Wing about the vice president, about Vice President Harris. Does, and it leads to this bigger question, does the vice president have the confidence of the president and of the West Wing
1: Absolutely. 100%. And, you know, that's part of my frustration with the press these days. We, you know, we read more about anonymous sources than name individuals and anybody hiding behind, uh, you know, cloak of darkness can say anything. But I'll tell you, I'm in senior advisor meetings every morning. Uh, I talk to the president regularly and the vice president has our full confidence. We think she's doing an extraordinary job. We think that It's not an easy job, the presidency is not an easy job. And what you do when you don't have an easy job is put your head down and you work your behind off. And that's what she's doing, that's what the president's doing. So uh, we have full, full confidence in the vice president and we're proud of the work that she's doing.
0: And Mr. Richmond, what, what specific policy goals can we expect to see prioritized in year two of the Biden administration?
1: Uh, what we want to do in the short term is make sure that we get bill back better across the finish line so that we can uh, ease supply chain issues, bring down inflation, continue to improve the economy, invest in our american families that That is uh, job number one, along with protecting uh, the right to vote. Those two things are still very critical for us, and we're going to continue uh, to push those things, but we will also uh you know, chew gum and walk at the same time because there's other parts of the agenda that we want to do for uh, working families. And we want to make sure that the tax system is fair and that those who, you know, have it pay their fair share. Uh, The middle class in this country has been uh, shouldering a disproportionate share of the burden. And we think that that's unfair and we're going to work on that Also, so uh, we're not giving up on what the president laid out uh, in his vision, and believe it or not, we're going to continue to work on unifying the country and restoring the the soul of America.
0: You were actually a little more pithy than I than I expected. So I'm going to squeeze in one more question, and that is in terms of concern about inflation. Should does the administration does the president expect that the 40 year high that um, we saw uh last year is starting to slide back can w- six months from now will we be looking at lower inflation than we have than we have today
1: absolutely that's the goal but i think also uh we also need to call out some of our corporate actors and if you look at uh tyson's for example and what they're charging for their meat products uh i think it was on their earnings call with the CEO that he said that we had record earnings last quarter, over a billion dollars. You know how we got record earnings? We raised prices. He didn't say that there was a need to raise prices. He didn't say that their materials and labor and all those things, the costs went up. What he said is we raised prices and we got record earnings. And so we need to make sure that um, we're holding everyone accountable. We're going to fix supply chain issues, but we can't Uh, and we'll try Mm -hmm. uh, to deal with corporate greed, but some of this, uh, I believe, is profiteering during a pandemic.
0: And with that, we are going to have to leave it there. Cedric Richmond, Senior Advisor to President Biden, uh, thank you very, very much for coming to Washington Post Live. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.